Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's yet another tale of woe this morning in a world where the snowflakes are constantly crying for attention but the real victims continue to be abused and misused by the very people that are supposed to look after them. While millionaire film stars talk about their plight and that of their daughters in a world dominated by man-friendly scripts and man-friendly tissues, charities are reporting a record number of sexual misconduct cases following the Oxfam scandal back in February. And today we learn of a truly shocking case in Manchester City Council where a severely autistic woman was pimped out to dozens of Asian men for sex by the very organisation that was supposed to be caring for her. It's an unbelievable story and we'll be telling you all about it coming up. 0344 499 1000. Katie Perrier is here as well and I'll be asking her what the mood is in Downing Street today after yet another day of frustration in Brussels and we'll be asking you how good you are at the Dutch Reach. And if you think that's something disgusting, just stay tuned and we'll tell you exactly what to do. 0344 499 1000. Plus, we're being honoured with a visit from one of the world's top chefs, Michelle Rue Jr. Katie's already looking forward to a few tips in the kitchen. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We've just been telling you all about this dreadful story on the front page of The Times this morning in which it's been revealed that a woman with severe learning difficulties, a very low IQ uh, and a very complex medical problem uh, with, uh, uh, with autism, uh, it turns out was actually pimped out by the local council through an uh, intermediary company uh, to have sex with loads of different Asian men because they thought it would be good for her. It's hard to believe that this is actually going on in 2018 in this country. Coming up in this hour, though, we're going to talk about why we seem to be caring about all the wrong things. Maxine Peake, who's quite a good actress and has been in quite a few good TV shows and I've quite enjoyed them, has suddenly gone completely and utterly stark staring bonkers mad and decided that we are now living uh, in a class divided society which is just as bad as the conditions that led to the Peterloo Massacre back in 1819 when people were dying in childbirth when women didn't even have the vote and when in fact there was a massive famine going on all over the country. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, Katie, you will hear from various people at times uh, like this that there are problems with our society, that there are problems with uh, the levels of income in some parts of the country, that there are people who are struggling on universal credit. The universal credit system is is, is universally kind of uh, being said to be rubbish, basically, and the Tories haven't got it right at all. Even Ian Duncan Smith has told us that. But when you start to get hysterical about it and start saying, oh, actually, we could have another Peterloo massacre on our hands, which is what Maxine Peake has said, you just start to shake your head, don't you? I just think that they're out of touch with the reality, really. Yeah. Now, the, the, the thing is, you can't 
just assume that therefore I don't think that there are there is pockets of poverty around the UK. There are pockets of poverty, and as you pointed out, the Conservative Party has not done a great job of the rollout of universal credit, which, by the way, I think is the right thing to do, just mm. poorly executed. Well, they certainly need to simplify you know, the benefit system, don't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, drive out waste, inefficiency, and also you know overpaying benefits when people are not entitled to them. Let's focus on the benefits where people are entitled, and let's deliver it to them promptly. Mm. That's the job to do. So there are areas of poverty. There are areas in the country where there's neglect going on and what the argument for me here is is that is that neglect from a government not giving enough money and people living in abject poverty or is it you know neglect from parenting poor parenting mm. by people that probably possibly should know better but just for one reason or another can't cope with well you've said yourself you've said yourself from your experience working in a local council yeah. and being in charge of vulnerable children uh, and, and having to oversee all of that there's an awful lot of that in this country and there's an awful lot of problems in this country socially which are not going to be fixed by handing out money to people absolutely not. I mean, I have one family in my area that there were seven children, uh, all in from the same parents, and the parents could not cope and mm. look after these children. Not to the point that they can't cope, i.e. shouting and screaming and everything. Severe neglect. Yeah. Children going to school without shoes properly, you yeah. know, they've got holes in them. They, you know, they've got dirty underwear. They are not been washed. They've got lice in their hair. They're skinny. They've not been fed. All yeah. this kind of stuff. You have to take those children away after yeah. time and time again. That's a million pounds a year and taking them away. Council. And taking them away and putting them somewhere is not always the answer either. Let's talk to Paul Mason, contributing editor, sorry, for the New Statesman. Paul, very good morning to you. Good morning, Paul. Hello. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, yes, we have uh, inequality in this country. Yes, we have people making way too much money. And yes, we have people not making enough money. But um, when we start to see actresses saying it could be another Peter Lou on our hands, I mean, it's getting a little bit out of, uh, out of control, isn't it? Well, it was only in 2011, of course, that we had riots all over Britain by some very uh, marginalised and dispossessed people. Now, a lot of those people were also organi- you know, involved in crime, antisocial behaviour, etc. Yeah. But look, the argument that people on the left would have is that you know, the kind of children that, that you were just describing earlier, who come to school in a terrible state, um, it's quite amazing how few of them come from rich families, isn't it? Um, and that poverty does have something to do with parents' ability to cope, with the mental health of parents. You know, I stand at, in my local Tesco watching people hovering over at 5, 5 p.m. waiting for the, you know, the food to be put out that is, you know, past its sell-by day. Yeah. And it's always young mums. And it's young mums taking a decision probably between putting the central heating on and buying the food. It's quite so, often old uh, people, actually, I see doing that as well. As, yeah. Well, I live in a, in, a, in a big city in London, and, and, I, and for me, right? I, it tends to be that, yeah. No, everywhere there are people under economic stress. And so while there are four million children living in poverty, two-thirds of those in this country have a working parent. So what we're dealing with is working poverty, but we're also dealing with economic stress. Because if you uh, are a professional, say you're a young teacher, you know, a lot of your... Uh, a lot of your salary is going on living accommodation. Very difficult to get on the property ladder. And wh- where I agree with Maxine Peake is, you know, the, jo- the w- job I do, travelling around, listening to people, I-, I just hear very high levels of anger, not always from poor people, often from, you know, people with professional jobs who just can't make ends meet and can't see a future for themselves. And, you know, the final thing is... We, we used to be told, you know, things will be like this forever, but but better. That was before 2008. And after 2008, the people who run society or the political class, the top journalists, all they can really say is things are going to be like this forever, but worse. And, and uh, that is not an inspiring thing to be telling a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old leaving school. And so I can see the, the, the possibility of a level of social unrest developing, which either goes to the left 
or to the right as it's doing in places like Brazil because people just don't see a hopeful future from the system, the economic system that, that surrounds them. But a lot of the anger, I think, Paul, as well, stems from the polarisation that seems to have occurred in the past, say, four or five years. I mean, you've been in this game a long time, as I have. I've never seen a more riven society than the one that we have now, not just in terms of rich and poor, but in terms of left and right, in terms of remain and leave, in terms of Trump yeah. and Antifa. I mean, I was watching a video this morning on... What is uh, Antifa? Sorry? What is Antifa? Antifa is what they call the people who... Uh, who... Oh, sorry, in, in Britain we call that anti-fascism. Yeah, OK. Yeah, Antifa sorry. in America I'm talking about. You know, where yeah. you've got a, a guy shouting at a woman who uh, was standing outside of an airport, I think, just about to get into a taxi, just being really disgusting and horrible and personal about her husband who was in the NYPD. I've just never seen so much kind of poison being exchanged from both sides politically. And I think that yeah. will lead more to, to unrest than, than, than even any kind of, you know, monetary problems. Well, I think I, we, I see this tension in society wherever I go, in Europe, in mm. America. Uh, yes, you know, it's in Europe and, as well, yeah. And, and even in a very, you know, a country like Germany that's got a good living standard, what people are, you know, what people are worried about is change and insecurity. And what is true for people like me on the left, I do want more public spending. I do want big companies like Google and Facebook to be taxed so that our kids can go to university for free. But I will accept that that alone doesn't solve the sources of the anger. People are feeling very culturally insecure. You know, if all you've got is your local identity, you know, your family, your dad did this, your granddad did this, your great granddad's name is on the cenotaph. That, and somebody says, look, you know, it's, it's like it can all be taken away by migration, which is the big fear mongering of the right. I can understand why people start worrying about migration, but what we've got to do, I think not just the left, but, but liberal people like yourselves on talk radio have got to have the guts to stand up to people and say there is a better story than racism and xenophobia that solves this. And it is getting together, sorting out the problems as much as we can constructively and learning to live alongside each other. As long as, you promise not, as long as you promise not to call me a liberal, I'll agree to do that. Paul. Oh, sorry, but you know <laughs> what I mean? It's not a, it, 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 people are going to travel, you know, whether they're migrants or not migrants. So if you see somebody walking down your street you've never seen before, whether they're a migrant or a visitor or a tourist, you've got to have, have strategies for getting along with them. And I wish more politicians would stand together, shoulder to shoulder, left and right and centre, and say, you know, the, the the levels of tension against outsiders are not doing anybody any good. No matter what your worries are, there's got to be a constructive way of dealing with this. Otherwise, we will end up down the route of, of where some European countries are, where it is just, you know, where it is. And I've spoken to people after Brexit, my colleagues who worked in the media, you know, uh, people from the Indian subcontinent or black people, fairly well off on a decent job. Suddenly they're saying, hold on a minute, I don't feel very safe in my own society. Why is that? Um, we've got to acknowledge that, you know, this is a threat and a problem and come up with solutions to it. And I think what Maxine Peake's done in this in this comment about this amazing film, you know, which is about an event most people don't know about when there was nearly a revolution in Britain, um, I think is it, we should try and learn from our own history, both the kind of good bits of it and the bad bits of it. But we were talking earlier uh, about how we seem to now be worrying about the wrong things in our society. You know, we worry about things like man-sized tissues. We worry about whether a trans woman is actually a woman. You know, when there is re when there are real issues going on out there, uh, which people should be getting worked up about. I'm not so bothered about man-sized tissues. I think the issue of trans is, is a strong debate on both sides, and it's come at us quite quickly. But, look, I think that 
to, to people struggling to put the food on the table in the evening and wondering whether they can afford to switch their central heating on, that is, that is the most important thing. And you know what? At the last election when I was campaigning, as you know, I'm a Labour supporter, yeah. I was worried that everybody on the doorstep was, would want to talk about Brexit. And, and they didn't, actually. They always wanted to talk about when's my, the pothole outside my door going to be fixed? When, when can we have our maternity ward reopened? Yeah. Is A&E going to close in my local hospital? These are the bread and butter issues. And, you know, if Theresa May is right and austerity is over, when what, when then what that means is you've got to spend like crazy on public services because, yeah, your previous contributor, uh, you know, whose name I missed, I'm sorry, is, is, is just was right about how heartbreaking it is to see children come to school in a terrible state because of either neglect or poverty or both. But I remember the 60s. I don't know how old you are. I'm 58, so I was brought... Exactly the same age, Paul. Yeah. Well, do you agree, then, that that for most people, you know, there was a decent enough living standard to make it unacceptable for the neglect and the dirt and the... It's unacceptable now, Paul. It's absolutely unacceptable now. No, but what I mean is that too many people now find it... It's not acceptable. We're accepting it as a fact of life. You... Would have been would have been social workers intervening proactively before any of this. You know, but I don't think I don't think Paul we have we we didn't have that level of poverty in a way. Um, and I think part of the yeah, reason exactly. part of the thing that we have to think about is that we've now had decades since the sixties of a welfare state system which has completely failed the people. You know, it's failed everybody. It hasn't helped really uh, very many people to get back into work once they've been out of work. It hasn't worked as a safety net. It's worked as a means of sort of production uh, for keeping so, people... So what is your for... agenda? To abolish the welfare state and no, let everybody just I have no, survive? I have no agenda, no, Paul. Come on, I can hear the, the, whole, the, the mere fact that you're talking about Donald Trump and Antifa, a word that nobody uses, tells me that... that well, people the, use Antifa the, all the time. I'm sorry, I've never heard it before. Well, I'm but sorry you haven't heard of it, Paul. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. No, 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 no because I've been, inv- I've actually done, I have actually been on demonstrations against fascists in such, you know, in, in so have I. before I was a journalist for the BBC. Good. And we all need to get out on them and, and fight this pernicious lie. Well, why would you pretend you know, that the word doesn't exist, though? No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying the fact is that you're using a Trump, a Trumpian vocabulary. Oh, I see. So you don't like the word because you, you think it's Trumpian. No, no, I think, yeah, I think it is. I'll tell, I tell you what. And you know what, Paul? This is proving the exact point. We are worrying about the wrong stuff. Let's go back. You you care more about about the the fact that I've used a word that you don't want to be used, right? And pretending that it doesn't exist. And instead, I'm trying to say to you, I'm trying to say to you, Paul, excuse me, I'm trying to say to you that the welfare state has failed and we need to rethink how it works. You're not even willing to consider that. No, I'm telling you, it hasn't failed. It's not funded well enough. Oh, you want to throw more money at it? Well, hold on a minute. Yes, I do. Absolutely. If you want to stop people coming to school in a terrible state or having uh, parents needing to have intervention to basically get their kids away from them, which is an extreme thing that happens, but, but it does happen, then what we need to do is abolish poverty. And to abolish poverty needs redistribution of wealth. And the wealth that sits at the top of society, you know, these hundreds of houses that we have here in London, unoccupied, owned by foreign speculators, never lived in. 
that's that's the disgrace that I want to to to, to but that's tip of the ice. That's a tiny tiny amount of money compared to what would be needed. And you are joining forces with people like Ian Duncan Smith. You might not think so, but he too is calling for more money to be put into the welfare state to make sure that universal credit actually works. I want to ask a question about the fact that you <laughs> know people. Work, though, he wants to make sure it does, and actually he's probably one of the people that have been at the forefront no, uh, with the Centre for it. Social he Justice in it. the Conservative he Party. Told, he's been at the I'm forefront sorry. of fighting he poverty, and I won't hear otherwise because I've seen it with my own eyes, Paul. So I've got a question for you about divisive politics. Paul, you've I've worked got, in broadcasting a long I've time. I've got a question for you, Paul, about divisive politics. I want to know if those people at home that think that things will change now as a result of voting a certain way and making their yeah. voice heard, how important is it? I mean, it's a silly question in a way, but I'm, I feel this is really important to deliver what they want and what they ask what do you for. Mean, are you talking about Brexit? Yes, I'm talking about Brexit, but I'm also talking about you know elections and just generally that the fact that they're not heard, they they feel that they don't have a voice in politics. No one really represents them, even though there's a large amount of people in Westminster from both political parties who do their best on a daily basis to do just that. You know, are we not going to go further towards kind of you know I don't know kind divisive of protest, society. divisive society yeah. if we don't deliver on what we've said? Are we not just feeding them all, you know almost well, empty promises? Well. I think that political parties have to deliver on what they promise. Okay, that's the, number, that's the number one thing. I don't think the Conservatives promised very much in the last election. But on Brexit, um, I think we do have to try to deliver the outcome that that referendum uh, demanded. It was, a, it was a narrow victory. And, you know, if, you know, if, if, if it was a strike vote at 52-48, you probably wouldn't go on strike. But it was, it was a victory, and fine. Let's try and deliver it, but let's try and mitigate the damage that it will do to the economy, because it will do damage to the economy. And let's try and heal the scars. You know, there has been an upsurge of hate crime and hate speech driven by Brexit against foreigners and against migrants. So let's try and overcome that. But, yeah, let's, let's deliver Brexit. I'm in favour of delivering the softest possible Brexit that keeps our country very close to Europe, that keeps us in the single market. That's Brexit. But that's right, not necessarily what people voted for, though, is it? That's not there what the referendum was all about. with your right-wing agenda. Because there I is don't no... have an agenda, Paul. How is it no, possible sorry, for me no, to have a right-wing agenda just because I disagree no, with you? No, because... sorry, you Do can't, you have a left-wing you, agenda, you Paul? Do you have a left-wing agenda? I certainly do. I'm a socialist, yeah. Are you? OK. Yeah, I'm well. a socialist. And I'm a well, most people in this country are not socialist, Paul. Most people in this country are oh, not extremists, OK? Let's do a survey. Let's, I'm, I'm not we, can do, we do a survey every time there's an election. There's never been a socialist government in this country in the history do of, a, of, do of a the country. Do a survey of who wants to nationalise the railways. Do a survey I want to nationalise the railways, that's for a start. What's the local, the local bus company controlled by the, the state and not by private uh, companies? Well, do I would say I would, I would be one of those people. That doesn't make yeah, me a socialist. You're a socialist then, aren't you? No, yeah, I'm not. I mean, so, no, it's all, not so, at all. Yeah, I don't put myself in any particular But now camp. we are again arguing about words rather than yeah. things that matter to people yeah, and changes to their words. lives. You know, you know yeah, it's, I do find that there's certain people in politics that get obsessed with labels. Yeah. Don't label yeah, me. I, I might like opera and come from a working class family. Don't label people. You know, I think yeah. that all of a sudden we're obsessed with saying whether socialists, whether we're capitalists, whether this, that, and the yeah. other. You can have points of view that according cross political spectrum. According to Paul, I, I can't want I, I can't have a right wing agenda and want to nationalise the railway. So which which one of those two things am I? You can't you can't actually put me in a box, Paul. I can have different views on different issues. No, that, that's, that's what I do. That's good. That's good. But let, you know, we're talking about welfare, and and it's, it's. I want to expand the welfare state. I want to expand spending on the things that make human to human services easier, so that you know, 
that we're not just talking about you know going to accident and emergency if you if you get knocked over by a bus but we're talking about being able to go and get mental health issues treated on the state in a timely way instead of say two two years which some teenagers have been finding when they've been suicidal you see we live in a rich society we're the fourth or fifth richest society in the world if you go to a country like south korea you see what modern means you see a country that's able to build big railways big road bridges big motorways open car factories everybody goes to university who wants to almost for free it's it, there are we've forgotten what modern feels like but south korea is a pretty capitalist economy isn't it yeah it is it is, but it's run in a way where the state takes a much more active role in trying to shape the economy. And guess what? As a result, it's the world leader in most of the modern technologies. They build cars. They build micro uh, semiconductors. We, you know, we sold our last semiconductor company a couple of years ago. The South Koreans are, are world leaders of it. And, and when they look at us, upset, all right, you know, Brexit was a thing. It's happened. We have to make it happen. But a lot of economists I speak to and a lot of people in Asia, they're saying, well, we're getting on with building the 21st century. Well, you're obsessing about your own past. And I, I think there's an element of validity in that. There may be, but there's also an element of validity in the fact that it's a lot cheaper to produce stuff over there than it is here. But, Paul, listen, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we've got a, a knock it on the head, I'm afraid. We've run out of time. Love to have you back on, though. Uh, Paul Mason there with the left-wing agenda. He's a socialist. I'm not. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Join the Talk Nation. Dial up and talk radio. We'll get you talking. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Ryan, who's in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, sir. What would you like to say? I'd like to rant, if that's okay. Go I'd for like it. You. Go for it. You wouldn't be the first one today. Well, I'm not overly prepared. I was a bit earlier, but I've, I've had a few things happen. Okay. Um, Hang on. You've, you've, your, phone's bro- your phone's breaking up a bit. Can you stay in one place? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Sorry. No, basically, I phoned up about um, my NatWest story. My, our local NatWest has closed about a year ago, just before it did. I had a, a nice big argument with the manager. Um, 
who uh, basically I went in one day and there was a sign up on the position of the desk as you go in that said, surprise, surprise, this um, position is unmanned. And then someone has crossed out unmanned and put unstaffed. Right. So I then went and got a pen from the counter and crossed out unstaffed and put unmanned again. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, I went in there the next week and I said, oh, your sign's changed because they had the same sign up so they never had anyone working there. Um, and uh, basically, they said, uh, the woman um, was, was talking to me basically said, um, well, yeah, we had a, a very offensive customer and started basically saying about how uh, someone must have moaned and that he said, and I said, oh, you sure it was a he? He said, well, we think it was a he. And I said, oh, that's a bit presumptuous. And basically went all on and on and let him shoot themselves at first. I said, well, it was actually me. And then basically <laughs> had a nice discussion about how pathetic they are and how much, of, oh, you know, the, the little bit of money that might be made off the small investment I have in their bank. I don't want it going to them doing pathetic things with their time when they could be serving customers. And yeah, I just think it's just silly. It's just it is getting out of hand, isn't it? But this is what I'm saying, Ron. People are worrying about the wrong stuff. You know, there's important stuff to fix in this country. You know, it doesn't really matter whether it's unmanned or unstaffed. The, the most important thing is, is the bloody place is shutting. Well, that was it. I, I was wondering about the, the, the word unstaffed, so I looked it up, and it does actually exist, and I thought they might have actually made it up, and I thought, I've never actually heard it before. I didn't know if it was a new one that had actually been made up because, you know, we're making up new words to try and get over people's hang-ups. It's mm. pathetic. It really um, is. Absolute um, bonkers yeah. stuff. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, 0344 is the number. Uh, Katie Perrier is here with me, of course. Now, you uh, will probably be uh, thinking I'm going to talk about Brexit next, but I'm not going to. Thank even God for though, that. Even though this section is going to be titled The French Revolution. Okay. about Emmanuel Macron. It is about the greatest chef. Uh, in my view, in London, and he is Michelle Rue, who's here with us. Michelle, excellent. Good very morning. good morning to you. Good morning. And the reason I say that is because I had the greatest meal of my life in the Gavroche many years ago. Uh, probably about twenty years ago, when I think you were you was running it then. Yeah. I'm surprised um, you can remember. I had sure I was it made, like an alcoholic. No, line. the reason it happened was because I mean I don't think I could have ever afforded it at the time, but I'd just been made foreign editor of Daily Express, and we had a correspondent in Paris who was a formidable character called Jack G, and he said that he really wanted to keep being the stringer for us in Paris, and he said I'd love to come to London and buy you dinner. Uh, just name the place you want to go. And I went, <laughs> the Gavroche. <laughs> and I think even Very then, smart. even then, I think it was about 400 quid. But I had this lobster bisque, the like of which oh, I yeah. don't think I've ever had. With oh, so, yes, it's so beautiful. It really was amazing. Anyway, Michelle, you've written this new book called The French Revolution. It's mm. 140 classic recipes. I love this book. I mean, I'm a massive cook, right? I love to cook. I love cookbooks. And um, this one has really piqued my interest, I'm going to have to Good. tell you, just because... You've deliberately made it simple, haven't you? Yes. It's not. It's not. I mean, the Gavroche is not a simple restaurant. It's a complicated and very rich place. Um, this is not it, exactly that. It's uh, you know a lot of people think of French cuisine as being laden with calories, rich, mm. very difficult to cook, and very complex, yeah. which it can be. But for the most part, that the kind of French cuisine that I grew up with is exactly that. Uh, that that style mm. very very simple the, the one that's in the book i should say very very simple straightforward great ingredients not expensive and not complex no i mean one of my favorite recipes actually involves a tin of sardines i mm. saw the sardine pasta dish and i thought yeah it's great i can't imagine what's re- what how you're going to make sardines into a pasta dish and then it's and i saw it was tin sardines yes which is remarkable really it's not something i'd have the, expected the french have a thing about tin sardines there are shops that just sell tin sardines really absolutely and they are amazing they really are truly amazing mm. so yeah i mean uh, tin sardines are a staple in my house i've always got them there i love and, tin sardines yeah. i mean but does it come down to i mean I, I i try and get the ones that are in water rather than oil does it matter 
I prefer the uh, the oil version because especially if you're making pasta or toast, uh-huh. you, you just pour the oil on top. There's right. all that flavour and I goodness know. in there. Oh, yummy! Oh, there it you makes go. you feel hungry <laughs> early for lunch. But you've gone out of your way to make sure that the, each each recipe that I've looked through. Uh, you point out that this has got you know, fewer calories in, less cream, yes. or you know, be sparing with the butter, but but use good quality ingredients. Quality is that because you want to appeal to the audience that wants to also watch their weight and be careful well, about what they do? It's not a diet book, um, but there are a few recipes where I have cut back a little bit on uh, uh, certain well quantities of butter or right. thick cream. Um, to just to just sort of lighten it up a bit. But it's definitely not taking away from the great quality of the recipes and the great end product as well. I mean, look at me. I eat a heck of a lot of butter and cream. It doesn't look like it. And no. cheese. No. We were talking right. off air about cheese as mm. well. I could live off cheese. Mm. But I think it's all about a balanced diet. And I think the book does get that point across as well. It, it's all about a balanced diet. Lots of fruit and vegetables as well. And it's also so much easier now. I mean, I remember growing up in, in the 70s in, in North London where, you know, the, the nearest sort of shop that sold anything was a Sainsbury's, which was about a mile walk away. So you had to walk there, walk back. You didn't carry very much. They didn't sell very much, mm. to be honest. Whereas now, I mean, Borough Market up the road where I get where it's on my way home every day. It's favourite place. It is my favourite. You can just buy everything there. They've got and, fantastic. And eat there as and well. It's, and eat there. And it's, but it's not that expensive. You know, people say constantly we get these stories about the obesity problem in Britain and people eating the wrong kind of food and eating processed food because it's cheaper. It's actually not. Isn't it lack of you education, know? though? They yeah, because if how. you go... I think you're if, right. It is mm. education. It's knowledge. And, of course, if you... If you know, you're going to buy something, that fear of getting it wrong and it ends up in the bin. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a waste of money and a waste of time. So right. I think knowledge is key, isn't it? And, I mean, my, my kids are now taught cooking at school. You know, they do a, a thing called food technology, which is great. They both love it. My, my youngest loves to cook cakes, likes to bake cakes. The oldest one likes to make pasta. You know, they're 14 and 11. You know, I was never taught that when I was a kid. What would you say to young people now trying to come into profession? I mean, my eldest son, he's only nine, but he has an absolute love. It comes in the family, love of food. <laughs> we are big foodies in our house, you can tell. That's good. And, um, and love of food and love of cooking, love of baking, goes to all the kind of clubs and everything like that. And, and all, you know, would happily say, oh, yeah, I could absolutely end up in the food industry. What was the best thing for, the, for them to do in the future, the career that you've had? Mm. If you look back at now, is it harder to break into the industry than before? I don't think so. I think there are so many opportunities now in the hospitality industry it's not just about being a chef um, and not just about working in Michelin star restaurants you know the the uh, you can be a chef in in all kinds of different places um, and and likewise front of house and the hospitality industry in general you know it, it employs so many people in different uh, different mm. areas and you can travel the world you know uh, yes in the hospitality sure. industry. A friend of mine funnily enough um, came to London from New York uh, he was originally from Sweden and he ran a restaurant in New York uh, called Spazzo, which is down in sort of Christopher Street, down there in that neck of the woods, and very successful, very good sort of, you know, newish Italian-type food. Came to London, he found it really hard. He was running a couple of restaurants here. He found it really difficult, he said, to get the right kind of staff. Um, uh, and he basically said if it wasn't for the fact that there were so many foreigners here... Uh, you'd never be able to open a restaurant at all. I mean, do you find that, you know, yeah, and obviously I'm... there's a reference to Brexit coming up because if everybody's going to leave, as we're told they are, <laughs> are, are you going to be able to run a restaurant, I guess is the question. I, th- I think, you know, th- there are there are many, many young Brits in the kitchen now that are chefs. Uh, and that's probably due to the fact that uh, people like myself have been on television yeah. and it's sort of drawn in a lot of youngsters into our industry, into into the kitchen. It's quite show busy now cooking, isn't um, it? Yeah, but let's not forget, it is. it can be damn hard work yeah, too. Yeah. Um, and and not everybody does reach to no. you know the top and become the next Gordon Ramsay right. or Jamie Oliver or whoever. Mm. But um, but what we need to do now, I think, is encourage people to work front of house yeah. and to see 
service, not as servitude or or a job front of sure. house as being just a holiday job. Mm. It's yeah. a career it and, and it can be an amazing quality, can't Absolutely. it? So that transforms your evening. Good quality service can transform a night out. And it and can also ruin a great meal. It can. Yeah. It, it doesn't can. matter how good your Absolutely. chef is, if it's badly it, served, then yeah. I want to know, going back, what's your favourite recipe in that book? <gasps> you, pick, you, mine, you know what, I've, pick I've picked mine. Can I pick mine first? You're not looking at me, are you? Can you mind if I <laughs> pick mine first? I'm not interested in you, sweetie. She's not interested in me at all, right? <laughs> she just sits there and does a show with me. And the Pue Basquez, the Basque-style chicken. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make that this weekend. But what do you like about it? So simple. Well, I'll tell you why I like it. It's got all the things that I love in it. It's got garlic, it's got bay leaves, it's got peppers, it's got smoked paprika, it's got chicken. Anything with chicken is I love. It's got potatoes in it, and it's also you, you kind of cook it all in a in a all big in one pot, tray. stick it in the oven. Oh, yeah. that's attractive. So, so, that is an attractive so option. Like one if you're cooking, cooking for a load of people, yes. you know, you can put it in there, and you can go and sit down, have a glass of wine, leave a couple now of hours. Now we're getting to the most well, important. Well, you know, <laughs> you can go, you do it well, quickly, because, and going. Well, yeah, especially Keith wine. Floyd here, isn't well, it? especially <laughs> if you've got like guests, you don't want to spend the whole time that's just cooking. True. You want to be spend a bit of time cooking, chuck it all in a in a in the oven, and then go socialize. That's a very good point. So is that one of your favourites? Uh, I like all the recipes there, but uh, sweet tooth as well, and I love chocolate. So uh, the the little chocolate mousse pots are mm. yeah special, oh. really really good. And uh, there's only uh, chocolate, egg, uh, and a touch of cream in there. It really is. Oh, sorry, and sugar. So it's really very good. Most important quality chocolate though. Quality chocolate. Mm. I'm a bit disappointed you didn't bring anything in to, to eat today. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, don't turn up to a woman on a t on a radio show and go, "I'm coming to talk about a cookbook and I brought nothing." With I must me admit, when I showed Katie the book earlier, the first she turned straight to the dessert. I did straight <laughs> to the desserts. Me, you haven't looked at any of the others. You looked at desserts. And went, I'm a woman. Of course, I've looked for desserts. Yeah. That's the most important thing. And you know, when you go into a restaurant and then you say to you, the other half says. Oh, um, uh, you said, no, 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 I'm not going to have a dessert. I'm going to be good. And then your other half goes, well, actually, I quite fancy one. They order something. And then you got you say to the waitress, have you got another spoon, please? And the other half of the users say, that's not what I signed up to. I did not sign up to you having half of this. We did not agree to that. You want your own pudding, get your own. Yeah. Stop ordering, stop eating mine. Of course. Now, how how difficult on. is it, Michelle, for you to kind of run? Because you've got a bit of an empire going here. I mean, are you able to to still cook in your restaurants? Or do you, do you need to do that to sort of keep your hand in, as it were? Yes, absolutely. That's a very good question. I mean, I'm still at the Gavroche, uh, which is... HQ, yeah. that's where I spend most of my time. That's been that's, that's a sort of veteran London that's restaurant now, isn't it? Yeah, 51 years. Wow. Now, 51 years. I've been at the helm now 30 years, which uh -huh. is, yeah, a long time, lifetime. Um, but then, does it, I mean, when I was there, as I said, about 20 years ago, is it, has it changed much? I'm, I must come back. It's, now I can uh, afford it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think it's uh, it, it's evolved over yeah. the years, but you know the um, I think the secret to its success is that it stayed true to its roots, right. and it's mm. still very French. Um, it's got a certain air of formality, but it's it's sort of not not oppressively mm. formal. Yeah. Um, and um, I, you know I think that's that as I said is is the secret to its success. It's staying true to its roots. Yeah. Very French. Well, back Fantastic. in those days, twenty. I mean, it's hard to imagine now for people who are younger than me listening to this. But back twenty years ago, I mean, you. Wouldn't dream of going somewhere like that without wearing a tie. Yeah, now that's. I mean, everyone wore ties. In that those has days been relaxed. Suits, you that, know? that was one of the first things I did when I took over from my father. Mm. I, I said, right, let's stop the tie rule. Yeah. Uh, and uh, three years ago, I stopped the jacket rule as well because people can be very smart and elegant without yeah, going to of course. putting the tie and right. the, you know. The, and, the and how many restaurants are you sort of currently running then? As well, well as now that three one? in London. Okay. Uh, at Parliament Square, which is on Great George Street, right next to Big Ben. Okay. Um, and uh, then I also do the food at uh, the Landau which is the restaurant of the Langham Hotel. Oh, right, okay. And also just recently opened a very posh and smart and fun pub. 
in oh, the really? Langham Hotel called okay. the Wigmore. See, it's funny, isn't it? Because, again, hotels, I always remember Egon Rone, a name from the past, always said, never yeah. eat in a restaurant that revolves and never eat in a hotel. <laughs> uh, but now that's all changed, hasn't <laughs> that it? Completely changed. changed. Absolutely. In London, you know, all really good, lots of good restaurants are in hotels now. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's, he, he's, Michelle's talked about several places that you've not been to, so I'm surprised you haven't already said, we're going on Friday to this one. Well, you're going to take me to the one in Parliament one. Square because that's your neck of the <laughs> okay, woods, right? She yeah, has an I know office that down one. that way, so I know, you're taking me there for lunch. I've been in the private dining yeah. room, been in the bar, I've been in the restaurant there a couple of times, okay. now, so I know that restaurant pretty well, I've right. got to say. Okay. But not, not many of the others. So, well, expect yeah. us to turn we'll up. We'll do a tour. Yeah, we should. I like that. The pub sounds good as well. Exactly, we can go in. more than happy to buy you a drink when we turn up. We're not the kind of people that look for freebies. We're not those kind of people. Not much. I'm not, absolutely. No, I used to be because I didn't used to have any money. It's different now. Anyway, Michelle, it's a great book. Uh, <laughs> it I presume good. it's available from all the usual places. It is. Today is publication day as well. So Fantastic. It's exciting. How long did it take you? Uh, oh, a year. Mm. A, a year from a year. conception to now on the wow. shelves. Well, it was well worth it. So thank the you. The French Revolution. This one won't, come, won't bring you any harm. So that's, <laughs> that's very good. Michelle, lovely to meet you. Thank you very much indeed. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right, let's talk now uh, to Emma Kent, who's a reporter for Eurogamer, because Fortnite, the game that has taken the world by storm, I know that you've banned your children from playing I have banned it. my family I have not playing. been able to ban my children from playing it. However, I only ban them... Uh, as a punishment when, when they get something wrong at school or they uh-huh. get punished at school. I go, right, that's a one-day ban. It's a two-day ban. You know, um, it's a nightmare trying to keep them off it. Uh, but there's a Fortnite cheat uh, guy on YouTube, right, who's now being sued by the company who made this game up, Epic Games. And we'll find out from Emma what the story is all about. Emma, very good uh, morning to you. Hello, how are you doing? Very Hi well, there. very well indeed. Now, this is every parent's nightmare, this game, and I didn't actually know that there was a character uh, called Brandon Lucas who's attracted something like 1.7 million subscribers to his YouTube channel who puts out cheats on the Fortnite game. What exactly is the point of that? Uh, well, I guess the kind of fun for cheaters is to kind of get around the rules of the game and uh, troll people. So it's to deliberately annoy people and get a reaction. Okay. And... Yeah, no, it's annoying for other players because if someone's cheating, it's not fair anymore and there's no skill involved with the cheating. Right. Now, I don't know a great deal about the game. I watch my kids play it. It's all about sort of basically taking control of an island, isn't it? And you end up uh, either winning the game or coming second or third out of sort of 100 people playing it. Is that Does the cheat sort of pop up out of nowhere from behind a bush and kill you or something? <laughs> well, the way the cheat works is um, you put a line of code into the game and the ones that they were using were called aimbots. So what that does is it basically aims the gun for you. Okay. So it'd be like going to an Olympic shooting event and having a machine do it for you. You know, there's there's no skill there. It's ah. not really you playing at that point. Okay. Which is why it's annoying for people in a multiplayer game when you've got someone cheating like that. Okay. So the multi in the multiplayer game, the the cheater is just another player though. It's not like taking over your play your game or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just another player, but it's very annoying because you can't really compete with that at right. all. Right. Okay. Because so one of the reasons that, that I always say that Epic Games have been so successful here is that they're very smart in giving the game away and then kind of persuading everyone to buy skins and to spend five or ten pounds a week on it. And they've now got something like two hundred million subscribers or players around the world. So I mean, why are they even bothering to sue this guy? Uh, I think they're trying to make an example out of him because uh, there are quite a lot of people on YouTube promoting cheating and trying to kind of invent cheats for the game. And if you get enough people doing that, uh, you get the kind of idea that the game's broken and it's not fair anymore and players don't like that. So I feel like they're trying to make an example of these YouTubers because they're so prominent 
to try and stop other people from doing the cheating. Mm. And is there a precedent in this in terms of, does this happen regularly? Who wins in this scenario? You know, are they they confident of their case? It's normally kind of uh, a last resort for games companies to do this. I think normally they issue bans and warnings and both of these YouTubers, to be fair, have been banned before and have found their way back into the game. Uh, Epic has carried out a lawsuit against two other players uh, last year, which is still ongoing. Uh, for cheating, but this is the first time they've done it against a big prominent YouTuber. Right. And he makes quite a lot of money out of this, presumably, as well, because I understand people actually buy his cheats, as it were, for, for as much as £100 a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's difficult to know exactly how much he was making from it, but some of the packages he was selling online were equivalent to about £230. The world's gone mad, Emma. <laughs> 230 quid of someone's hard-earned yeah, money. for a cheat. On a yeah. cheat on a game. Which, I mean, which actually doesn't get you anything or win you any money or anything you, like you that. Don't, you, but you don't have any possessions no. after that. You don't have a lovely pair of shoes no. or an amazing weekend away. No. You just have the cheat to the game that you'll become obsessed with, right? right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, and, gosh. And, and presumably, me. I mean, if you buy something like this from this guy, is it not possible for them to sort of lock you out of the game somehow? Um, well, they should try and detect it with the software, but I'm guessing a few of them slip through eventually. Uh, it's difficult to constantly keep an eye on all of the different cheats that people are inventing to put in the game's code. So you'd hope that uh, Epic would be able to catch some of them, but seemingly a few get through. I mean, you know, this is potentially someone's career option in future, which is, I know what I'm going to do. They're going to go to the sixth form college. They're going to speak to the career advisor and say, you know, what was it you'd like to be? And I, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to design cheats for websites. And then someone laughs at them and say, you know, more for you for laughing at me. I can get 230 quid a pop for this stuff. Yeah, right. You know, and, you know, who 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 would imagine that this was something that people could make money out of? And, like, you know, all, almost a career option yeah. now. They don't need to go to work if they can keep on sending this stuff on a daily basis. Mm. It's kind of crazy. Where does it end, Emma? Oh, well, it's difficult to say. I, I mean, I guess the companies and the developers are continually trying to crack down on cheating and things like suing cheats will definitely deter some people, but I don't think they can ever completely get rid of it. So I'm hoping that at some point my kids will get bored with Fortnite, but it's not happened yet because they're very, very good at continually re- revamping it and sort of refreshing it. But I mean, what is the next big thing that they're going to have to be looking at? Well, that's difficult to say. I think the main thing they need to do is keep reinventing it and keep coming up with different gameplay modes, different events you can do in the game. So at the moment, there's like a Halloween event and people are really enjoying that. And it works so that every season they get different things happening in the game. So it's it's kind of like a TV series or something and it keeps people involved like that. It's extremely clever. It really going. Do you love it, Emma? Is it, you know, what is it you like about it or is it what you don't (laughs) like about it? I really do uh, enjoy it. I really like the art style and the fact that you can buy dance moves to do with friends. And it's just very silly, uh, to be honest. There are some things I don't like about it so much. Um, For instance, uh, quite a lot of us find it strange that it's a very cartoony style, but then you're running around with guns. So something I'd like to see is Epic maybe change it to make the guns a bit more cartoony or something that's a little bit less realistic. Um, for kids, I think that's yeah. the main problem for me. Yeah, that's always going to be tricky, though, isn't it? Thanks very much indeed. Emma Kent, there, reporter for Eurogamer. It's like when the emoji of the gun was taken away. Do you remember by yeah. on the iPhone, and now it's a water pistol? It's, it's kind of pointless. I know. It's I mean, either have a gun or don't have a gun. But the fact that it's just... a gun emoji is not going to make somebody shoot somebody, is it? For millions of people, this is just a world away from what they know or yeah. recognise mm. or can understand. And there's no concept of, of understanding as to what motivates people to play these games. 
what motivates them to spend that kind of money. Or how bad it might be for them. How bad it might be for them. And, I, you know, I know I sound like a 90-year-old old woman with a stick moaning, but it frightens the heebie-jeebies out of me. Well, you're going to have to look out for it because as your kids get older, it's going to get harder and harder to stop them getting involved in it. And you can't, in the end, make them weird by not doing it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's part of the problem. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.